This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Please join the Media Club, which is YomTovMediaClub.com and uh, be part of that club. Let's get the word out to the world. Today we're going to talk about two names of God and how they apply to us. One of those names of God is the name of expansion and therefore chaos. And the other name of God is the, the, the name of contraction and therefore order. Chaos and order. The name of expansion of God's name is the name which we call Hashem. And you're not allowed to erase God's name, so I'm going to put little spaces here and there. I can put a space there, even though that's not really the name of God. We call it the name, which is a yud, and then a space, and a hey, and a vav, and a hey. That's the name that we call Hashem. Okay? And that name is the causer of expansion of creation. It's the causer of really everything in creation. Because the yud, which is just, you know, it's just like the pure idea, and the hey represents the dimension of that idea, because ideas have dimension to them. And then the vav is the is just a what is a vav? It's just a yud implemented into the world, okay? Because the you know it's landed in the world. I'll just put a baseline here. So we got this. Uh, this is the spiritual. And this is the physical. So a vav is the implementation of that idea into the world. And then the final A is the, as we said before, it's the dimension of the implementation, which is us here, sitting here. So like, for example, someone can have an idea of creating an uh, Apple smartphone or something. Smart, uh, what's it called, an iPhone? iPhone. And then, well, I mean, what kind of phone? How big is it going to be? Is it, you know, like, you know, all the details involved in there. There was a lot of thought went into that phone. And that's the dimension of, I want to make a smartphone. Okay, the Vov is, well, we need to manufacture it. So Apple, being good Americans as they are, probably want to manufacture it in China. And so China seems like a cheap place to do it. And so they do it in China, you know. I mean, they are a very liberal company. They, they won't even put Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And if you ask, uh, if you ask Apple who the, what's the capital of Jerusalem, they'll just show you websites of anti-Zionist websites. <laughs> It's insane that, that Jews will use Apple phones at all. You know, unless, of course, you're one of those self-hating Jews, uh, the BDS Jew, who wears their anti-Israel stuff with a badge of honor, you know. But the... Anyway, but Apple's like just... Apple's just a covertly BDS company. Because go ask your Google phone. You know, is that Apple or Google there? Apple. What's yours? Android. You have your voice thing on. Um, ask, ask. What's it? What do you have to say? Hey, Google or something. I have a, this is the airport phone. I haven't used it. Oh, okay. okay. So anyway, but if you ask Google phone, what's the capital of Jerusalem? It'll tell you. Israel. Okay, what's capital the capital of, of Israel. Searching. What's the capital of Israel? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Oh. Yeah. Now, who has who has an Apple phone? You have an Apple phone? Yeah. Ask, ask Siri, what, what's the capital of Israel? Ask, ask again, Micah. What is the capital of Israel? Here's what I found. Now look at the websites. Here's what I found. 
to what he used in Iceland. What's that? The United States recognizes um, recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. The United States. They, you got on top? Second one, yeah. Second, they, so they put something nice there. The first one is Wikipedia. Oh. That's good, too. <laughs> What's number three? Uh, what is the capital of Israel? The country has named Jerusalem as the capital. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I'm done. I did this last week. Brilliant. Last week, four websites. Every one of them was, was you know... It was all like, the, if everyone of them said the disputed capital of Israel, you know, and, and then like, you open the website, it was all the disputed, the dispute of it. That's amazing. They must have heard my last time I raved about this. Live streaming helps. Yeah, live streaming helps. Anyway, they still won't put Jerusalem there. They're supposed to say Jerusalem. So the yud and the hay and the vav and the hay is the causer of everything. It's the causer of everything. In everything in your life, it's the causer. It also tells you how to build a business. Because someone who's good at ideas is usually not that good at figuring out how to you know, market them or you know, all the details involved. There's a lot of details. So usually there's a, in every big company, there's a yud personality or maybe multiple yud personalities. Then there's hay personalities. That's the R&D, research and development people. See if they can turn a profit on the product that the idea was. You, know, you need different, it's a different headspace, a different kind of know-how. And the and then you have Vov people, which is you know manufacturing and shipping and UPS and Amazon. All that's going to be part of the Vov is how you get the job done. You know that's the whole implementation of it. But then when you go to a, like for example an Apple store and you have this gorgeous store and the salespeople are usually a little too friendly. You know, they're like super, super nice people. Those are all hate personalities. Those are hate personality people. Now, sometimes you meet people with multiple letters because I'm a yud and the final hey. I'm a very good end user. Like the H store likes to throw me in front of crowds and stuff. Like, you know, they'll have a new group in town and they'll, they'll want me to do something for them. I don't know, play a concert for them or smile at them or, I don't know, be nice to them. So... So I'm a good I'm a good final hay guy for Asian Torah, but I'm also a good idea guy. But one thing I'm not is figuring out how to do things, and the second thing is just getting me on, to be somewhere on time is is a it's a task, you know, because I don't implement naturally. I don't I'm not a natural implementer in my life. I would really just sit in a jacuzzi all day if if it were left up to me, and which it's not left up to me but if I if I, if I were up to my own like schedule it would be a jacuzzi all day okay, until I become the raisin man who's lost his tan yeah. now the the name of contraction in Hebrew is the name how would you spell die without putting the word die A-I AI? Yeah, I like that. Do the Y also. Okay, yeah, that works. You don't spell day too much. This is perfect. Shot and then the die is the name of contraction. And in Hebrew it looks like this. Okay. And what that name means is that it's enough. The word is uh, means enough. Or we shall all die. Or stop. Okay? Enough. Like, limit, order, 
edge border. Okay, it's the it's the it's the name of God that creates order in the world, which is pretty important because think of what God created. God created an expanding universe, and the our galaxy is doing its own expansion, I guess, amongst other galaxies. And and you need order to that because the more something expands, the more chaotic it gets, which is called entropy. Entropy is the chaos that comes from expansion. Order, on the other hand, is is something that's quite miraculous. Kind of hard to explain how there could be order. I mean, if you rolled marbles down the Kotel, you know, if you were red, white, and blue marbles down the Kotel, it's not going to, like, become the American flag by the bottom. Okay? You could start as the American flag. Like, you can create a tray of marbles where it is the American flag and then roll it from the top of the Kotel stairs, you know, with a nice group of Scandinavians on the staircase. Just kidding. I love Scandinavians, but it would be funny to watch marbles, you know. A couple hundred. Is that a marble? No, it was a dice. Yeah. Let's let's grab your let's grab your die a little later. Just I it sounded like it bounced over there, but we'll try to remember that it went there. It's just these chairs make so much noise when you move them that better not. Anyway. It it's not going to recreate the American flag as it goes. It's going to get more chaotic, more chaotic, more chaotic until it's just total chaos. And that's the nature of expansion. And we're in an expanding world that seems to have this amazing order to it. And boy, does it have order. I mean, NASA couldn't do a thing without that order. I mean, you need order in order to send satellites and, and you just need a ton of order for everything. And they require that order for, our, for example, our airplanes are adjusted for gravity. You know, the weight of the plane, the speed of the plane, all that's adjusted for the incredible order of our planet. And we take our order of our planet for granted, but if you're a Kabbalistic Jew, you don't take it for granted. You, you only got it because there's a name involved. God's name is involved, and that's the Shin and the Dalit and the Yud, and that's what's causing the order. And if God were to remove that name from the creation, that name were to be removed, this room would become a blender. If for about one one millionth of a second, because the whole world's going to become a blender, and the whole thing's just going to like blend into oblivion, into the expansion of the yud and the hay and the bab and the hay. Now, obviously, that name disappears. We're also in trouble. We need this name as well. So these two names are at play. One's an expander, which is chaos, and one's a contractor, the contraction of of, of the world. Now, think about order and chaos in your own life. Like, how much of your life is order and chaos? How much of your life is order and chaos? You ever thought about that? How much of your life is order and chaos? And, and how many of you would prefer order over chaos? Any of you create, prefer? Raise your hand if you prefer order over chaos. Is order your, your, what you prefer? That's funny. Almost everyone raised their hand. She didn't. These two from ladies from Brooklyn, from uh, New York, didn't. You like chaos, or you're just being super honest? No one is super. What? No one is super. So. Super. No one is what? Go with the flow. No, I'm saying no one is super. It's still. She's not super honest. She can't be super. Oh, super honest. Oh. 
Thank I was just wondering why you didn't raise your hand because I, I'd be, I'd, I'm a little shocked to meet anyone who prefer chaos over order. I mean, let's ask this lady. Hi, welcome to our class. What do, what do you prefer, chaos or order? Order. Order. But what, what, what winds up happening in your life? Chaos. Yes. Like, this is like Miss Chaos just walked in the room. Do you ever feel like your name is Miss Chaos? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the time. All the time. So we see desiring order doesn't help much, does it? Like, how many of us wanted order? How many of us wanted our kid to get married at 19? You know? <laughs> and it just didn't happen. So, like, we all... Like, our wanting order isn't very helpful. It doesn't seem to make much of a difference. Tell me, uh, what's made you grow the most as a human being, chaos or order? Chaos. Uh, someone against growth here? I mean, you all raise your hands that you want the order side of things, and here you are, like, who you've become is all from chaos. So, you're going to give that up? If you had to give up everything you've become, if you had to give up everything you've become, you, you, you get to get rid of chaos in your life, but you'll also have to let go of everything you've become. Would you let go of chaos? Who said no. one is correlated with the other? What's that? Who said one is correlated with the other? Like who you can become is because of the chaos. Well, the order creates a lot of you too. Like education systems order. And you wouldn't be able to even understand my words right now if you hadn't been in that education system. You grew from that. We grow from order. We grow from chaos. But what happens is that often that the, the over amount of order it can be pretty pretty frightening. And uh, over amount of order in government, for example, can be uh, totalitarian and dangerous. The Nazis loved order. Yeah, Nazis were very orderly. They had a lot of orders. <laughs> yeah, there's a... Uh, order can get dangerous. Order also, and just in our own lives, can be a little boring. And um, chaos keeps things interesting, but can also be... Uh, it quickly spins into anxiety. And what is the source of anxiety if not chaos? And so, chaos is uh, chaos is like you don't want too much of that, <laughs> but you don't want too much order either, you know. So if you so what you should be realizing at this point in the class is that we're always in this dance between chaos and order. We're always in a dance between the two, just like our universe is in a dance between the two of two. These are always at play in everywhere and everything. You can always find it going on in your life. And we play with the dials. And you'll notice that you sabotage, like Miss Chaos, who just walked in. Well, I, don't even, I don't even know who this lady is, but she's like clearly Miss Chaos. And, and I've been calling her that without knowing who this person is. And every time I call her that, she's like, that's me. Yeah, so, Miss Chaos, who just walked in, if you had order, you'd sabotage it. And if you think about it unconscious, if you think about it honestly, you'd probably realize that unconsciously. Unconscious, not consciously. Because you want order. Consciously you want order, unconsciously you don't. And you just keep sabotaging things and getting back to chaos. So, so there's a part of you that really loves the chaos world. And it probably had to do with a chaotic upbringing. And I'm glad we're not live streaming you because that, this would start getting embarrassing. But, yeah, but am I right? You probably had a chaotic upbringing. No, not really. Oh, really? You didn't? Life wasn't chaotic growing up? Not really. 
And so you're just your own. Qu- you're your own queen of chaos. Okay. Okay, fine. But a lot of people, what will happen is they'll have a chaotic upbringing, and that just becomes the misery comfort zone, meaning they their comfort zone is chaos. Okay, fine. So this is a play, play between two things. Now, here's an interesting thing. Here's an interesting thing. I want to show you a distinction between. This is things a lot of people would never think of. There's a distinction between, oh gosh, how do I put this? I don't even know how to write it. So you guys are going to help me with my spelling? Uh, oh, that was blue. Okay. I just found naivety. <laughs> what? N-A-I-V-E. I never heard of the word. Naivety. Is that naivety? The first time. It's E-T-T-E. Can you check your phone for naivety, please? And uh, it'll spell check it for you. And then the other side is um, virtue. Naivety and virtue. What is virtue? Virtue means like someone who's full of good values, lives their values, you know, like... I think most of you, I mean, the fact that you're even here studying in Jerusalem yeah, shows there, there's a lot of virtue there. The second eye is in me. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Who said that? Who said that? No, what's, um, what's, no, what's, what's your name? Me? Yeah. Rebecca. Oh, Rebecca. That's very, very much in Germany, you know, letting in all the refugees, all these people say, oh, they're just being good Christians, and the other people say, no, they're just being naive. You know, it's very much that naive. Are we doing what's good, or are we doing all these stupid naive uh-huh. people? Okay, so what happens is, the reason I put it in a Venn diagram isn't like most Venn diagrams. It's just to show that, that a lot of people who are actually really naive consider themselves quite virtuous, but really they're quite yeah, exactly. naive. So they're, they're really over here. Now, check this out. <laughs> you can be... You can be a very observant Jew, for example. A very observant Jew who's locked on to order. like Because a Jewish community can create a lot of order in your life. You're locked on to order and you've never tasted real life. Okay? Because there's a lot of order going on. And you've never tasted real life just because it's a highly protective community. The Jewish community is very protective. So you've never really tasted real chaos in life. And it's only with that chaos that you come to virtue. For me to think I'm a good person, having never been tested with being bad... Does that make me a good person? No. Not at all. So therefore, my good person, meaning being a virtuous person, is really coming from what? From naivety. And a virtuous person is a person who's tasted the world of chaos. And being good is chaotic, or sorry, being bad creates more order or more chaos in life? Lying creates more chaos or order? Much more chaotic. I mean, nothing's more chaotic than lying. And the crazy thing is we're all liars. 
we're all liars. And how do you know you're, we're all liars? The way you know you're liars, do you have a different story depending where you're, uh, as, uh, do you have a different story about yourself depending who you're with? Which is like really weird because then we're not just lying about where we were yesterday. We're not, maybe we aren't. We could actually be very honest about where we were yesterday, maybe hoping people wouldn't ask, but, but we're very honest about some things and we'd give ourselves the badge of honesty on that. But meanwhile, our very self-image shifts depending who we're talking to. In other words, our, our, our own sense of self, our self-image is the lie because we shift it depending who's, who we're involved with. And it gets hard keeping track of that if you are involved with enough people. You know, it's really hard to keep track of that. And uh, many people have told me, you know, that they've commented on my public speaking that I'm too honest about where I'm at. But what they don't realize is that I have no choice because I want to be a happy person. And I refuse to be managing the different things I've told different people about me all these years. You understand? I, I, I don't want to deal with that. I, I, I'm not saying I'm that honest. I just don't want the hell of a life, the hell of a life of having a different self-image developed for everyone I meet. And I'm meeting way too many people to be doing that. And yet I know a lot of public speakers who keep their cards close to their chest. Their content's wonderful. They may even be entertaining. But they never let it you into who they are because they're letting everyone else know something else about them. And they, they don't want to get public about any of it because just it's going to be too many stories out there about what's their real narrative. So I'm extremely honest because of, by force I have to be. Because I, I don't, as much as I want to give in my career, I don't want it to be, I don't want, my, I don't want it to become like I built my own hell in this world. Would you say that Trump is succeeding on that same technique? <laughs> 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 Aviva thought that was really funny, and so did I. We don't always match on what's funny. No, we don't. But that was an excellent question. I love that, and you know he's pretty darn good at uh, putting on that. He's horrible on the virtue side. Yeah, but he's honest about it. He's crazy <laughs> honest. And, how creepy he is. No, he probably sleeps well. You know, he, he creeps out or tweets out all day and calls people maybe creeps out all day and then goes to sleep well, knowing that like it's not like I have to remember what I said to anybody. Whatever it was, it was creepy. You know, and and now I'm I'm going to bed, this creepy president. Um, almost set. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, let's go. So naivety. What happens is a lot of people think they're virtuous, but really they've never even tasted life. And the only way to be virtuous is you have to face evil inside you. I mean, you have to face doing stupid stuff. And and. I've always held you don't have to do the bad stuff. You just have to brush into it. You gotta you gotta deal with it. I I've never held that you gotta actually do it, but you gotta get real with the fact that you want to. <laughs> you gotta get in, in touch with the bad side of you. You know the, they call it the shadow in psychology. 
Yeah, you got to get in touch with the shadow. And a lot of people don't want to do that. They just want to have this this virtue naivety thing going on. But the thing is, is that's not really a good idea either, because because it means nothing in eternity. Because when you when your when your temporal body goes, then you get to the reality of the world. All your virtue that could have been just a naive charade is you know you don't want that either. That's not going to be any good. You know, you're going to a world called Olam HaEmes, the world of truth, where everything's real, but real, real. It's the other side of this illusion, this simulation. And how would you like to go upstairs being virtuous, yet having been totally naive to the evil inside of you and, the, and, the, and having never really faced it? And had to become good using real muscles of goodness, like to to build the muscles of of goodness. And so, our desire for order can be can be, and, and our desire in our in our societal order can become a fake, can ultimately become a crutch of fake virtue that has no reward in any real world because it's not virtue that's self-propelled, self-generated. It's not self-generated virtue. It's the virtue of someone scared to death of chaos. And they all know that the bad in them will create chaos. And there's no greater chaos than evil. Evil's job is chaos. Which is really interesting when chaos takes on the form of order. Like Nazi Germany. Because they, they are... That evil was the ultimate chaos wearing sheep's clothing of order. But it sent not just the Jews, it sent Europe, it sent America, it sent the, 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 the planet into chaos. All in the guise of order. Racial purity. Isn't Judaism a great refuge for obsessive compulsive behavior? <laughs> they don't total justification of the obsessive compulsive. People who are OCD have a very hard life if they're observant Jews. <laughs> obsessive compulsive. They have a very hard life. Seems to me they get a, get everything. They complete justification for their got complete channeling, wholesome channeling of their. This is why, I, when it comes to OCD people in the Jewish community, that, uh, that I have a principle that's really important for them to know, but it's important for all of us, and that is you never, ever take on any stringencies. There's a lot of stringencies available in Jewish law, because, you know, like, we all agree about the basic law, but then there's some opinions that are a little more stringent, some opinions are a little more lenient, we're in general agreement about every law, like meaning they have different opinions of how the tefillin should look, but everyone agrees in the end you're going to have a pair of black boxes on your head. You understand? We, we're in general agreement. We all know that you can't eat milk and meat together. Like, that's agreed on. But there are some who hold six hours, some hold three hours, some hold two hours, some even hold one hour. I think that's Holland. I think. Anyway, these... Um, but here's the principle. The principle is you never want to take on any stringency unless you could somehow prove how that particular stringency has brought you in a closer relationship with God. 
And if it did bring you in a closer relationship with God, so then it could be you're not even allowed to not do that stringency because the whole reason you were brought to the earth was to get a closer relationship with God. So therefore that stringency has your name on it. But it may not have your children's name on it. So keep it real private. Any stringency you've taken on that gets you close to God, that's between you and God. Try not to let anyone even see you doing it. And certainly don't push it on your children. Because who knows, you might have an OCD child who that, that thing is going to mess them up. And there's enough rules in Judaism with the great detail, fine detail, extremely fine detail in, Jewish, in the Jewish studies, Jewish, in Torah, that, that you, you definitely want to stay away from stringencies, unless, of course, it's provable that it would bring you very close to God. Um, and then again, if you do find there's a stringency that brings you close to God, then that's between you and God, not anything you'd want to pass on to anybody, because you could really be uh, sabotaging your children's generation in, in such a thing. Is that clear? Is that a good view of stringencies? It's important to know that. Important to know that. And if you've already taken on a stringency that really has done nothing but make, but estrange you from God, because stringencies are great at estranging people from God. Why? Because it's not part of the prophecy. Anything that's part of the prophecy of Israel, meaning the, the actual Torah and, and Halakha, anything that's part of the prophecy will bring you close to God. Unless you have some big issue, but work out your issue and you'll see it'll bring you close to God after you work out your issue. The, uh, but stringencies can bring someone away from God. Like, right, like really take someone far away. And so stringencies are very dangerous because they're designed to get you close, but they're dangerous. They can push someone very far away. And so, and so one has to be extremely careful with stringencies. And also, one should not take on a stringency without having first discussed it with a halakhic authority who would, who's advises to, yes, go that direction. And lastly, is if you've already taken on a stringency, you can't just drop it. You have to actually go to a Torah scholar and discuss dropping that stringency, which, of course, they're going to like want you to drop it immediately, but, but you still can't do it on your own because since you took it on, it's become now part of your relationship with Judaism and, and to take off a relation, any part of your relationship with Judaism requires a great Torah scholar to give you the go-ahead to, to do that. And they will. They will. No rabbi is going to say, oh, keep doing that. Anything that's taking away from God that's not part of the prophecies, meaning it's just a stringency, is uh, not, not going to be... Uh, no rabbi is going to push that on, on anybody. Example of a common stringency. A common stringency. Uh-huh, like an example. Mm. Mm. Anyone got one in mind? Shema. What? Shema. People compulsively say the same. No, no, a stringency. A halacha. Like, like my, my, my father. Wait, lady, she said second. What did you say? No, no, we're talking about a string. A halacha. Uh, she said tights. Oh. That's funny. She said uh, women wearing tights. <laughs> yeah. She's saying that's a stringency. Um, yeah, that's a that's a that's a very uh, yeah. That's a what kind of subject you call it? Touchy. Yeah. On hot days, it's a sticky subject. So, yeah. Especially so, in the summertime. Yeah. 
one. You know what my daughters were taught? My daughters were taught that you're only you only have to wear tights in the four element cities. <laughs> Which are those cities? Hebron is earth. Uh-huh. Jerusalem is fire. Uh-huh. Tiberius is water, and Sfat is uh, air. air. Uh-huh. Yeah, so make sure, make sure if you're in Tiberius, you go jet skiing in your tights. So I don't know if that's called being in Tiberius if you're on the water, because the city of Tiberius is the is the, mm-hmm. one of the four element cities. So anyway, but the, the they were taught that, which is interesting. And now, why exactly? There's, I imagine that that when you're in one of those four holy element cities, you're you're um, you're supposed to go. You're supposed to treat it on a different level in your own personal modesty. I think also for us men, for example, like some of you men, I'm sure has have no problems hanging out in a bathing suit on the beach in Tel Aviv or wherever you may go to the beach, right? It's appropriate to be in a bathing suit there. Um, but probably not a man in this room, no matter what level your observance, uh, going in just a bathing suit and flip-flops, even on Jaffa Street or Ben Yehuda Street, you wouldn't do that. You know, it's just not, you're not going there. And it's the same thing. It's the same type of thing. Just, uh, just uh, when... Uh, My parents had their 60th... Bradley! Oh. How are you? what's up? Facebook Live. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, wait, yeah, I'm on and discover. Yes. Okay, um, everyone, enjoy your dance between order and chaos, and you have now something in mind every time you move around, and for example, when you walk into your house, your house represents order, and the streets out there represent chaos. Touch that mezuzah. Pull in the order of your home and your, and your, your actual morals and your values and your virtue. Of, of the order that you create in your own life and when you go out on the streets be that same person that lives in that holy house of yours when you're out there you know, there's people who like eat kosher in the home but like they'll eat fish outside the home in restaurants or whatever you know like that that's not the same like if you wouldn't have non-kosher food in your home then don't have non-kosher food out of the home they, they, you want to have them both going on so touch that mezuzah, fill up your order and then move into the world of chaos with the order that is your life from your home. Just give me one practical example of using the names and the, and the, the doorpost with the shin dollar and yud before you leave, the protector that, that sends you in, okay? It sends you out to town. Shalom, everyone. Enjoy. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.